Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. BirdWatchersGeneralStore.com and by Ocean State Bird Club. Happy to sponsor Talking Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.OceanStateBirdClub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 764. Well, it happened during the week, so we weren't able to talk about it until now. That is that January 21st honored the bane of backyard birders on National Squirrel Appreciation Day. It's a day that recognizes a... I say that recognizes a... I say it recognizes a critter that some consider a pest and others see is just fascinating. The day was created by Christy Hargrove, a wildlife rehabilitator in North Carolina, affiliated with the Western North Carolina Nature Center, and recognizes that more than 250 species of squirrels exist across five continents, native to forests of the Americas, Europe, Asia, and Africa, and introduced to Australia. It notes that they can jump a distance equal to 10 times their body length and reminds us that they plant seeds which eventually grow into trees, thus assisting with forest renewal, even though they maybe don't do it on purpose. And why do we have so many squirrels anyway? Well, partly because in the mid-19th century, squirrels were introduced to American cities following the building of expansive urban parks in the 1870s. Squirrels were released in New York, Boston, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and other major cities. And so squirrels have been urban and suburban dwellers ever since. And, of course, if you have bird feeders, you know about squirrels. But love them or hate them or both, they are now recognized on National Squirrel Appreciation Day every January 21st. Uh, how about a little uh, Neil Young snippet here? Beautiful bluebird. Why are we playing that bit of a Neil Young song? Well, it is about a bird, but that's not the real reason. It's really to celebrate the fact that Neil Young, who is a dedicated conservationist and outspoken advocate for the welfare of small farmers, having co-founded the Farm Aid Benefit concert in 1985, has become a U.S. citizen. He's doing so, he says, so that he can vote in U.S. elections. He'll also maintain his Canadian citizenship. His latest environmentally related effort is a documentary film about electric car technology, tentatively titled Link Volt, about a project in which he turned his 1959 Lincoln Continental into a hybrid electric vehicle. How cool is that? Congratulations, Neil Young. Well, thanks to our friend and Crow Patrol leader, Craig Gibson, for allowing yours truly to take part this past Monday afternoon and evening in a fascinating outing on the banks of the Merrimack River in Lawrence, Massachusetts, to witness the staging and roosting of some 15,000 crows, mostly American crows, with some fish crows joining in, creating an amazing natural spectacle that is replicated in many places around the country, 
including in Oklahoma, where one roost has reportedly hosted two million crows in one roosting. And thanks to Dr. Christian Roots from the University of St. Andrews in Scotland, who gave us a great post-walk talk about the behavior and intelligence of crows and the survival challenges that they face. And we'll look forward to learning more about this amazing crow roosting phenomenon and about other intriguing behaviors of this these highly intelligent members of the Corvid family when Craig Gibson and Dr. Christian Roots join us on an upcoming Talking Birds show. And if you're in or near Massachusetts or southern New Hampshire and would like to know more about the Winter Crow Roost, check out this website, wintercrowroost.com. That's wintercrowroost.com. And now, a little bit more about how smart crows are as we meet up with our own Debbie Bleacher in the Talking Birds Science Corner. Come up to the lab and see what's on the slab. Well, good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Ray. Where are my notes about the science corner? Do you have them somewhere? <laughs> we need those yeah, for me to do go. the science corner. Notes. Thank you very sure. much. Yeah. So I hear you're going to talk about crows. This can't be right. Crows and marshmallows. Oh, it is right. Okay. Um, it's about how crows perform on a test known as the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment. Hmm. And that's a psychological test developed in the 1960s. Yeah. You might have heard of it. Yes. So in this experiment, just for our listeners who don't know, um, a child that is a, a human child, mm-hmm. not a crow, um, mm-hmm. is in a room with a marshmallow. And mm-hmm. this kid is told that if they can wait to eat the marshmallow for 15 minutes, they'll get a second marshmallow. The test was developed to help figure out the age at which people are smart enough to delay gratification, um, which, which uh. indicates their ability to think about the future. Hmm. So, this past fall, researchers at the University of Cambridge in the UK discovered that wild Caledonian, wild Caledonian crows, I can't say that, I bet you can, um, succeed at this test at the same rate as five-year-old kids. Wow. So, that's about 18 or 19 times out of 20. That is pretty amazing. But how do they test the crows? You can't exactly say, hey, uh, if you wait 15 minutes, you'll get another marshmallow, right? Yeah, I wish we could. Um, but the, the researchers used a, 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 say, a device that's a rotating platter in a box mm-hmm. with a sort of a serve-through window. Mm-hmm. So if you can visualize this, um, as the platter rotates, whatever is put on it comes around and sticks out the window mm-hmm. um, so the crow can pick it off. The researchers would put two treats on this platter, and the crows would either take the first one available or they would delay their gratification by waiting for the second one. Hmm. Oh, and the researchers didn't use marshmallows. I mean, can you imagine marshmallows and feathers? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so instead of one marshmallow and two marshmallows, um, like they used for the children, um, like they used in the original experiment for the children, they Mm -hmm. used bits of apple for the first treat and bits of meat for the second treat. Um, they did have to test children for comparison, and for them, they used small stickers for the first treat and big stickers for the second treat. Hmm. So, big differences between the crows and the kids, or not? Um, no. Um, uh, they Well, major differences just in one condition, but I have to explain that. So, I need to tell you that the kids and the crows experienced two test conditions. In the first one, the box containing the platter was transparent, so the, they could see the treats coming around and decide whether the second one was worth waiting for. Mm. And the kids and the crows scored pretty much the same on that. But in the second condition, the box wasn't transparent. Um, So they couldn't see the second treat. The Mm. kids were comfortable sitting there before the test and watching the the experimenters put both items on the platter before they got hidden. Mm. But the crows, being wild, were too shy, so they fluttered away. And so this meant that the kids knew what was hidden, but the crows didn't. 
So the kids performed much better in that condition. Um, the researchers are now trying to figure out a different method for executing that second condition so that the kids and the crows will have the same advantages. Wow, that is fascinating stuff. Oh, those, isn't it? Those yeah. crows are, are wicked smart. Thank you, Debbie. Oh, well, you're welcome, Ray. That's our visit this morning to the Talking Birds Science Corner. Think that's enough about crows? This is an update on the story we reported on last week. This is about water birds, giving a little equal time here. It's about the fact that at least 20,000 water birds will be homeless this spring thanks to the Commonwealth of Virginia's decision to pave Hampton Road South Island as part of a bridge and tunnel expansion project without creating alternative habitat for the state's biggest water bird colony. So the update is as follows. A coalition led by the American Bird Conservancy has formed to save the birds that would be dispersed by this project with an accompanying petition that urges Virginia Governor Ralph Northam to direct the Transportation Department to let the birds continue their nesting in the area until an alternate island habitat is created. That colony there for the Royal Terns nesting at the island represents 84% of that species population in Virginia. And all the species of gulls and terns and skimmers that nest on the island have experienced severe declines in the past 25 years. And the gull-billed tern is a state-listed threatened species which will probably be eradicated under the road expansion plans if there are no mitigation efforts put in place. So all who care about this issue can sign the petition that's on the American Bird Conservancy's website. Pretty easy to do. Just look for the Take Action banner. And the address is abcbirds.org. That's abcbirds.org. Meanwhile, from the Talking Birds email bag, we have an important note about an issue farther south from a friend of our show and a Talking Birds ambassador from St. Petersburg, Florida, Cecilia Dumois, She says, Dear Ray, I sent you an article about the toll roads proposed by the Florida legislature. These roads were not requested by the people who live in this large swath of natural Florida. It appears to be a sweetheart deal the legislature is giving to developers to pave over a large part of undeveloped parts of the state. Our wildlife and our native and migratory bird populations are enough under enough strain already. Please urge your Florida listeners to write to their representatives and voice their opposition and concerns about this project. For many years, the Florida legislators have turned a deaf ear to the will of the people regarding environmental issues. Thanks very much for highlighting important environment issues on your show. Cecilia Dumois from St. Petersburg, Florida. Well, thank you, Cecilia, for alerting us about this. If you live in Florida, Talking Birds listeners, or if you vacation there, you know what a beautiful place it is, and you also know how much of it has been developed and overdeveloped, and how it has been bedeviled by a great deal of environmental degradation. And I think we all know that more roads means more cars, and that more roads means more development and more destruction of irreplaceable natural areas that are home to increasingly threatened and stressed populations of birds and many other creatures. So please visit our website and read the news article that Cecilia has sent to us to get a better idea of what's happening in Florida and consider joining in the fight to help preserve the natural beauty there and the important areas for refuge for all of these 
amazing creatures and for people as well. What we're hearing there is the sound of our mystery bird. This is our preview. The mystery bird contest coming along a little bit later on in the show. We have a beautiful set of prizes here for you and some clues to the identity of our mystery bird. By the way, thanks again to Lissa Malloy for providing the inspiration for last week's mystery bird, the yellow-rumped warbler. She saw that bird down in the Florida Keys, and she sent us another note from there saying, aside from the usual ibis, pelicans, and vultures, I saw a white-crowned pigeon on my first day. And then she made us up here in the frozen north even more envious by writing, we're staying at Big Pine Key and snorkeling at Bahia Honda every day. Thanks, Lissa. Thanks a lot. Okay, our mystery bird is a small songbird from way up north. The male is usually red, the female an olive or greenish-yellow color. The wings are nearly black, as are its bill, legs, and feet, and it has brown eyes. Our bird has a very special adaptation, this is kind of the big clue here, that helps it get at the conifer seeds that make up virtually all of its diet. Clues on our mystery bird contest prizes include the beautiful Droll Yankee's cute feeder. Described as the cutest little chickadee feeder for any type of food, it even lets you manage the size of visiting birds coming to your feeder with its height-adjustable dome, which also protects the food inside, and its big dish holds a cup of sunflower seed, mixed seed fruit, or mealworms. On our bonus prize, we all could use a little help identifying the sounds of birds. But you don't want to be working to do that. You want to play a game instead if that's how to do it. Well, this is what you need. It's the LarkWire app. That's our other prize, our bonus prize today. It works for your iPhone, and it also works online if you have some other kind of phone or don't have a, a, you know, a phone. Either way, it works like that. So those are the prizes, and those are the clues on our Mystery Bird contest coming along in just a little while on this morning's show here. Some of the stories and videos we have for you right now on our TalkingBirds.com website and on our Facebook page. From BBC News Colorado, the story behind this headline, The Place Where Dead Eagles Are Given New Life. It has to do with some very special things for Native Americans. That's on our site right now. What bird are you most like? Cornell Lab offers a bird personality quiz. Don't miss it. And do you like bad bird puns? Well, we'll fill the bill for you as well. All of the above on our TalkingBirds.com website. Yes, sorry about that. And on our Facebook page right now. And don't forget to check out our new Kids in Nature page for some terrific ideas about getting kids interested in nature and birds all there at TalkingBirds.com. We have a conservation salute of the week. We want to be careful here. China is a country that has trampled upon the rights and dignity of its people and trampled upon our planet through the damming of rivers and the polluting of our planet's air and waters by massive amounts of coal burning and other environmentally disastrous actions. But let's give credit where credit is due by saluting China for enacting some strong environmental measures of late, like taking the lead in things like the adoption of clean energy transportation initiatives including a big emphasis on the switch to non-polluting electric vehicles. They've now even become a host for a new factory for the production of Tesla 
electric cars, and we like those. But we're saluting China today for something else that we've done here in the U.S. on kind of a hodgepodge basis in varying states and cities. Specifically, the fact that China has just taken a big step a step in the fight against plastic pollution, now seen as one of the biggest threats to our natural environment. They've just enacted a nationwide ban in major cities on plastic bags. Plastic bags will be banned in all of China's major cities by the end of this year. That's ambitious. And banned in all cities and towns in 2022. Markets selling fresh produce will be exempt from the ban until 2025. By the end of 2020, the restaurant industry in China will be banned from using single-use plastic straws. We really like that. By 2025, towns and cities across uh, China must reduce the consumption of single-use plastic items in the restaurant industry by 30%. Some regions and sectors will also face restrictions on the production and sale of plastic products. Other items like plastic utensils from takeaway food outlets and plastic courier packages will also be phased out. So a salute to China. Conservation salute this morning here on Talking Birds. Well, we are happy to be able to salute new Talking Birds ambassadors so far every week on our show, and we're more than happy to be able to do it again today, that's for sure. And thank you so much to Natalie M. from Lamont, Illinois, home of the beautiful Heritage Quarries Recreation Area and the Little Red Schoolhouse Nature Center. Sounds like a pretty cool place, and thank you, Natalie. And thank you to Annie Paquette and Kevin Oliver from Bloomington, Indiana. Annie says, I started listening to Talking Birds years ago on WCUW in Worcester, Massachusetts, when every bird just looked like the same little brown mystery flitting by. I had no idea how magical birds are. These days, I'm bird-brained enough to get some correct answers on the mystery bird contest, but that dang phone line is always busy. Thanks for the great shows and inspiration to appreciate birds and talk to you someday when that phone line isn't so hot. We wish it were hotter. I hate to say that, but uh, that's okay. And Kevin adds, Annie brings binoculars every time we leave the house. I want to start a bird appreciation club at the community college I attend as well. That is great. Kevin, let us know how that works out, and thank you so much, Kevin and Annie. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll join Kevin and Annie and Natalie and our ambassador's family by letting us send you some of our little info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors and fellow birders. To join the family, just visit our website, TalkingBirds.com. Click on the Get Involved button, then choose the Become an Ambassador option. One other note about ambassadors we forgot to mention last week is that we set a new goal for ambassadors helping us to get the word out about our birds and conservation and our show. And our goal is to reach a new plateau totaling 450 listeners in our ambassadors' family by the end of the month. 450 ambassadors. We're hoping to announce that we've reached that level on our next show. So uh, really our last chance. We'll also do next week because it's almost the end of the February 2nd for our next show. So... Here's the thing. We, we don't have a budget here for a marketing department, so we count on our amazing listeners to help get the word out about our show and about birds and conservation. So we hope you'll join our ambassadors family. If you've been thinking about it, we hope you'll do it now. To join the family, just go to TalkingBirds.com, click on the Get Involved button, and choose the Become an Ambassador 
option. And thank you. Still to come on our show today, we'll catch up with Mike O'Connor from Cape Cod's famous Bird Watchers General Store on Cape Cod. I said, oh, that's Cape Cod is on Cape Cod. I never thought of that before. That's on our <laughs> Let's Ask Mike segment and the topic of spotting scopes and how to choose one and use one. And up next, a beautiful aristocrat of the bird world, the real king of ducks, is today's featured feathered friend and presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. The spectacular duck known as the King Eider may be the king of eiders, but it's not the king of ducks. There's only one king of ducks, and it's this week's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Many birds are handsome, but the king of ducks has a profile that's aristocratic, elegant, even regal, thanks to its long, sloping forehead and bill that separates it instantly from lesser waterfowl. It's also a king-sized duck, one of the largest in North America. The male of this species has a rusty red head with deep red eyes, a black chest and rear end, and an amazingly subtle light gray coloring on its back, chest, and sides that gives it its common name, canvasback. There it is, apparently issuing some kind of royal proclamation in one of the prairie potholes in which it breeds, from the American Northwest up into northern Canada and Alaska. It's found in the winter on ponds and lakes and ocean bays all along both U.S. coasts and down into Mexico and the Caribbean. The preferred food of the canvasback in its non-breeding period, Velocinaria americana, wild celery, gives the canvasback its scientific name, Athea velicinaria, the elegant, aristocratic, king of ducks. The canvasback is today's Talkin' Birds featured feathered friend. Speaking of elegant and aristocratic, our Debbie Bleacher is still here with us in the studio. She was here with our uh, our science corner just a little while ago. Thank you for staying with us in the, in the studio here. Well, Debbie. I had nothing better to do. Well, I was going to say that, but I wanted to be more polite than that. But you can tell us about our mystery bird contest and uh, uh, not our mystery bird contest, but our website and how people find that and what it is. Oh, well, sure. The address is, yeah. Yeah, the address is www.talkinbirds.com, and there's no G in talking. No G in there. Right. Okay, yeah. Do we have a Facebook page or any of that? Uh, we have an stuff? excellent yeah. Facebook page. Um, you would look us up on Facebook at yeah. Talkin' Birds. Um, and we. you can also follow us on Twitter at Talkin' Birds. Uh, and what about Instagram? Or did you mention that? Gorgeous Instagram yeah. site. Yes, okay. absolutely follow that. That would be also at Talkin' Birds. At Talkin' right. Birds. Well yeah. worth it. Thank you very much, Debbie. On to our mystery bird contest. It's presented by Red Start Birding. Red Start Birding is your new resource for birding optics, gear, and expertise. Great birding starts at redstartbirding.com. We're listening to the sound of our mystery bird. Our clues for the mystery bird, it's a small songbird from way up north. The male is usually red, I think almost always red. The female, an olive or greenish-yellow color. The wings, nearly black, as are its bill, legs, and feet. It has beautiful brown eyes. Our bird has a very special adaptation that helps it get at the conifer seeds 
that make up virtually all of its diet. Clues there for our Mystery Bird contest and beautiful prizes, including the Droll Yankees cute feeder with its height-adjustable dome that lets you manage the size of visiting birds. After all, it is your feeder. Plus, a download to your iOS device or online access to the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. That would be the LarkWire app. Beautiful prizes there. 781-837-4900 is the all-important phone number. That's 781 781- Eight three seven four nine hundred. Please call us as soon as you can. Meanwhile, we'll find out about spotting scopes from our man Mike O'Connor. It's Let's Ask Mike live in just one minute. What's one of your favorite memories? Hmm, let's see. Well, there was this one time I went snorkeling in the Caribbean when I was a kid. It really just blew my mind. I mean... When you're sitting on the beach, it's so peaceful and you sort of forget there's a whole other world under there just full of all kinds of life. We saw the most beautiful corals. I remember thinking they were waving at us as they moved with the ocean. And then there were all these amazing fish. They kind of reminded me of tropical birds. They were so bright and colorful, just darting all over the place like birds in the sky. I'll never forget it. It completely changed the way I look at the ocean. Most of us have a memory of being in nature we'll never forget. Let's protect the world's natural places so more memories can be made for generations to come. Visit worldwildlife.org. Time for Mike O'Connor down there at the famous Bird Watchers General Store, Orleans. Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Uh, good morning, Mike. Sorry, we're getting to a little late there this morning. I think it's Debbie's fault, actually. But like, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, Ray. I t- you, you mentioned that crow thing that yeah. went to roost dot com, so I punched it up. You didn't tell me your picture was on that site. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, on, I would never put it up then. No, I'm on the far, could... far, far side to the right there with the red coat. Right. Exactly. Oh yeah. my God. No wonder. No wonder there's such activity. Exactly. I said, well, I didn't mind. So what are we talking about today? I think we're talking about spotting scopes. Oh, and how spotting to, yeah. scopes, yes. Yeah. yeah, so most birders should have binoculars, and if you're going to have one piece of optical apparatus by far, get some nice binoculars to use. You use those more often, but some people live near a pond or a lake or an ocean or a river or a mudflat, and some of the birds are further out, and you can't get to see them with your binoculars because there's a limit to magnification that binoculars have. So you might want to explore a spotting scope. Spotting scopes... Um, a little bit more money. You need two things. You need a scope and you need a tripod. They, they don't come as a package. They can, but that would be unsatisfactory because they usually put in a crummy tripod. Toss that in just to make the sale. Yeah. So I would look at a spotting scope. Some of the really low end, in, you know, like you can get like a two or three hundred dollar pair of binoculars and they'd be fine, but a two hundred dollar spotting scope you probably wouldn't be happy with. So you might want to save up a little bit of money before you get it. Um, I would. Unfortunately, you you can't really do this stuff online or even in a store. My advice is go, when you go birding, chat with birders about the scopes they happen to be using at that time. You see a birder, walk up to him or her and say, how do you like your scope, and ask some questions, and, and then you get a little bit hands-on. And believe me, birders like to talk about their stuff, so you won't have any trouble getting an explanation. And then you can, then you can narrow it down a little bit. If you go online... I'm telling you, everything online, no matter what it is, is rated four and a half stars. I don't 
care what it is. It, it could be cyanide and it would be four and a half stars on them. And burgers are also great about letting you look in their scopes, too. Absolutely. Right. You get a feel for it. So if you're looking for a spotting scope, go out there and talk to some birds, and then you can narrow it down what you can afford and what you feel comfortable with. Thank you, Mike. Okay, talk to you next week. Every Wednesday, Birdwatching Magazine sends an e-newsletter full of information of interest to birdwatchers, including recent news stories about birds, conservation, and science, photography tips, stories about places to go birding, bird ID tips, and much more. Best of all, the newsletter is free. Sign up today at birdwatchingdaily.com slash newsletter. For our mystery bird contest, we have uh, Angela somewhere in Pennsylvania. Good morning, Angela. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. What do you think our mystery bird is, uh, Angela? Pine Grosbeak. A Pine Grosbeak. Well, that is a top-quality guess there. But according to our notes, not exactly correct. Alrighty, thank you. Thank you so much, Angela. We have Donna in Townsend, Massachusetts. Good morning, Donna. Good morning. Good morning. What do you say on the mystery bird, uh, Donna? I say a red crossbill. I say you are correct. Nice job. Red crossbill. Pine Grosbeak was also an excellent guess, but yours was even excellenter. Donna, stay on the line, and uh, we'll get your address and send you all that nice stuff. We are out of town for our show, out of time. Uh, we have a great show, guest next week. We'll tell you about that soon. And thank you so much to our new engineer, Tim Dunn, and special thanks to Jesse Wilkins. I'm Ray Brown, and thanks to Debbie Bleacher. We'll see you next week. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. For Lean's Cape Cod and by Ocean State Bird Club, happy to sponsor Talkin' Birds. Why not shake off the midwinter blues with a bird walk? Or if it's too cold for your taste, come to one of our birding lectures or informal gatherings. We're online at www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and Facebook. Discover new ways to enjoy birding with Ocean State Bird Club.